Hello, eu sunt Amalia Dobre, sunt fashion editor Glamour. Bine ați venit la Slow, vă mulțumim că sunteți aici. În cel de-al doilea panel din această primă zi a conferinței noastre despre sustenabilitate, o să dezbatem de ce este nevoie de o revoluție în industria modei. Discuția noastră va fi în engleză, așa că... Nu o să mai vorbit mult în română. So, we have uh, Niv Taft with us today. Hi, thanks for Hello, having me. Hello, Niv. Hello, London. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, she's a global uh, network manager of Fashion Revolution. And uh, Mariana Stan, uh, the team leader of Fashion Revolution Romania. Hello, hello everybody. Hello, hello, hello Mariana. Uh, thank you for, uh, for being here with us. Uh, let's start. Okay, I can so, wait. <laughs> tell us a bit about uh, Fashion Revolution. So Fashion Revolution um, stands for a fashion industry that conserves and restores the environment and values um, people over profit. So we have a manifesto, which is a 10-point manifesto that sets out our vision for the fashion industry uh, based on a fair, safe, clean and equitable industry. And so we believe that this is possible through systemic change means you know kind of completely changing the way that the fashion industry is structured a um, little bit about our history we were founded in 2013 and um, off the back of the rana plaza disaster so um, as many of you might know that's a, um, a factory uh, collapse in in bangladesh which killed over a thousand people and injured another two and a half thousand people it's one of the biggest industrial disasters um, that the fashion industry has seen so um, that kind of galvanized a group of people to found fashion revolution and it was started very much on kind of uh, voluntary energy and we're still powered by voluntary energy like uh, mariana's team and many teams around the world Um, so each year we mark that anniversary with Fashion Revolution Week, which is one of our main campaigning moments. And we started out by asking a simple question, which is who made my clothes? Because it, when Rana Plaza happened, there were there were labels found in the rubble out of brands that didn't even know that that's a supplier that they were using because the, the value chain and the supply chain is so complex. So we asked that question in the first year and we carry on asking it, who made my clothes? Which is to make a visibility between the wearer of clothes and those who are making. Yeah, so I think uh, we can all agree that we need an ongoing fashion revolution. It is true that things in the past years have improved a bit though. I mean, we've noticed some positive changes. It's uh, also true that the pace is still slow. But we talk about sustainability more often. There are many innovations happening at the moment. We have uh, lab-grown materials. We try to recycle and upcycle more. Even though things are starting to move, it's not enough. And I think we are kind of running out of time. Are these changes realistic? Do they count on a larger scale? If so, how do you think we can speed up this process? Well, yes, you're right. The industry is set to miss its own target of uh, 1.5 to 2 degrees, um, a climate target by 50% at the moment. So we're 
yeah, missing the targets that we need to meet um, by 2030. So there's a real urgency to act. Um, in order to speed up the process, I think the first thing that we need is a recognition that we uh, need to move from a, a logic based on exponential growth to one that uh, understands that we have to live within our planetary boundaries. And this is a big shift for the industry to make and lots of industries to make. Um, if anyone wants to kind of dig into that more, I highly recommend Earth Logic, which is um, a book by Kate Fletcher, which kind of sets out this kind of idea that we, we have instead of having growth logic, we have to have earth logic. And it's really fascinating. But the, the kind of changes, the things we need to make that change are political will from our policymakers, accountability from our, our industry, collaboration and sharing of solutions across the supply chain. So not just a kind of top down approach, but a bottom up approach as well. And curiosity and vocal support from all of you guys, from citizens, to keep pushing the industry and keep pushing um, policymakers. And as you said, Amalia, we've seen um, sustainability talked about more and more, which is really encouraging to see that work yeah. come into people's language and those kind of concepts. But we also, on the flip side, sometimes see it used very vaguely or in a kind of greenwashing way. And as as it's used more and more it's used to greenwash more and more as well. Um, so we make a, a kind of concerted effort at Fashion Revolution to use the word sustainability in quite a limited amount and to talk more specifically about what we really mean. So the actual topic that might be organic fibers or circular production or kind of purpose-led business models. So I think now that that word is in common use in the same way as transparency has become used a lot more in the industry, now we have to dig into much more specific areas and, and really talk about them specifically. Um, but yeah, all of us will need to make change. Um, yep. And that might be caring for the clothes that we own and falling back in love with them um, or being responsible in the choices that we make to invest in clothes. Um, but yeah, I think in order to create that real systemic change, it is also about us putting our voice towards the brands and policymakers to say this is something that we, we only as individuals have a small, um, you know, kind of our change only makes us a, a certain level of difference. But the more that we show that, the more that it indicates to brands and policymakers that we we want the industry to change. And and I think you're completely right in saying that there's a real tipping point in consumer awareness. Um, Morgan Stanley released a report uh, earlier in the year to show that in in some countries consumption is plateauing. Um, so that's really really positive. Um, in our own consumer survey, we, we can see that 80% of people across four European countries that we surveyed want to know who manufactures their clothes. So they want that transparency. And, and it's the citizen and the customer that pushes the industry, as well as the industry having to kind of make big changes themselves. So, yeah, we want to see this big shift, I think, between this growth-based model, this thing that values maybe shareholder profit into um, an industry that puts worker equal to shareholder or puts co corporation equal to community. So that's the kind of shift, sort of overall shift we need to see if we're going to meet those kind of challenges. And it's a shift of values, really. Mm -hmm. uh, as I see it, you have two main battlefields on 
one hand, you are focused on getting brands on the, let's say, right path with your uh, fashion transparency index. And um, on the other hand, you are trying to educate people. A good example here uh, is your hashtag, who made my clothes. Which of the two fields do you think responded better so far on your, I don't know, statistics and what needs to change fast for both sides? Well, actually, the two are intertwined to an extent because Who Made My Clothes is a, a call for transparency from citizens. So using social media, kind of asking brands to make those who, who are making our clothes visible and to create empathy between wearer and, and worker. Um, but in, yeah, it's been more successful than we would imagine who made my clothes as a campaign um in 2015 it was the top trending hashtag on twitter during fashion revolution week and um it continues to to grow so we i think reached over 200 million people with the hashtag Whoa. in 2020 but i think they're really they're two sides of the same coin in a sense because if who made my clothes is kind of um raising citizen awareness and asking citizens to ask those questions, then Fashion Transparency Index is um, a tool for transparency with industry. So Fashion Transparency Index, for those who don't know it, um, surveys the biggest 250 brands across more than 200 um, indicators, so uh, kind of fact points, to tell us how much information they're publicly disclosing um, on their supply chain. And we've seen the disclosure increase by 9% in the last four years, which is, it uh, doesn't sound like very much, but it is a really significant impact to make across these very big and powerful um, businesses to really start to turn that corner. And um, while it's worth you know, reminding everyone that transparency is not sustainability, those who are more transparent and not necessarily, um, don't necessarily have better practices. It, we do kind of believe in this trajectory that if you have transparency, then you can see where the problems are and you can hold people accountable. And if you have accountability, mm. then you can create change. So in a sense, both of the campaigns are, are needed for each other. So, um, this citizen voice harnessed in who made my clothes pushes those brands to know that they they need to engage with something like the fashion transparency index and and take a deeper dive and equally who made my clothes wouldn't be as powerful if people couldn't see that we were doing you know really detailed deep dive work behind the scenes and you're totally right amalia it's two of our kind of key areas we work across four main types of campaigning citizen um activism education, industry advocacy and policy advocacy. So who made my clothes is citizen activism and education and um, and fashion transparency index is industry oh, advocacy. So yeah. you kind of, you worked out our, <laughs> our approach. Uh, recently, we've, uh, we've noticed that customer expectations have shifted and uh, people increasingly want transparency. Uh, of the supply chain they want to know who made their clothes and where they read labels uh, are there missing links on the labels of our clothes that we should be aware of yeah well 
really in the grand scheme of things labeling contains very little information um in fact there's this graphic um that we sometimes use uh which shows a label like this thick because it's all the information that actually tells you about these complex supply chains so i mean it's a lot of information um to ask a a, a customer or a consumer to um to take in, to take a decision because of the complexity of the supply chain. Um, and I think in some ways we can learn from other industries like the food industry about labeling and, and how people have kind of taken in um, what kind of information they want to make choices about their food and their health. Um, but what we are seeing in a label really only shows that kind of top layer. It will show the main materials, but it won't show what they're treated with, what other chemicals are used in the production of the, the um, textile or fiber um, or any of the finishes or the source of the material, where, where does it come from in the world? Um, so it's not a full ingredient list as we might see if we were buying um, some food, for instance. Um, yeah. And some of those fiber or brand names can be misleading, right? So we talk about nylon or polyester and they're plastic. They're from yeah. a petrochemical yeah. base. So we're maybe not as um, as wearers of clothes getting that information. And then on country of origin, um, this is really only where the garment was stitched, but it had there's been uh, fiber production, fiber processing. There might be other components that are coming from different places. So we're really only seeing one part of that picture. Um, and that's what we would call tier one. So where the um, garment is manufactured, but um, what we call tier two is all those other components and, and kind of textile processing that we don't see in our labels. And in fact, we recently um, did a report with the Tamil Nadu Alliance who are um, uh, a, an Indian alliance of uh, unions and um, industry representatives. And it showed that only one brand out of 40 it, that we looked at in that uh, project were disclosing their tier two suppliers. So it's very difficult as a, as a customer to find out, to go beyond that first layer. Um, so we sort of have to be clothing detectives, I think, with our, our labels. Um, and I think, you know, as you were saying, Amalia, there's a real desire for people to, they do want to know more, but they also need the information given to them in, uh, in a you know a kind of understandable format because the complexity of the supply chain is so vast that it can be quite bamboozling to try yeah, and yeah. Um, try and work out the pros and cons of different materials or you know kind of where this supply chain all sits. Yeah, it so, kind of has to be translated for yeah, exactly. us. Exactly. But we know a lot more people are interested in it. Um, so there was a survey and magazine a couple of years ago that that showed that 55 percent of people think it's really important to know where their clothes come from yeah so i think attitudes are changing uh you said about polyester and actually i've read on your website that um about 60 percent of today's clothing contains polyester uh what other options do we have is i don't know organic cotton an option yeah so as i said i think it's worth us having that recognition that polyester is a petrochemical so it's dependent on an extractive industry from a finite resource um and while organic <laughs> cotton and certified organic cotton like gots um 
cotton, which is a type of certification. Um, it's better than non-organic cotton. I think we have to get away from this idea that there's like a, a wonder fiber, a fiber that's going to kind of solve all the issues because ultimately um, I don't think there's any solution that relies on a virgin fiber. So a new fiber, the solution is to produce and consume fewer fibers and to recycle reuse and regenerate Upcycle, yeah, circulation yeah. so um yeah i mean and we have to think sometimes about blends so we have lots of polycotton blends and that means they can't necessarily be kind of separated and regenerated in the same way so that adds complexity and we have to kind of design and select materials for that kind of regeneration and i think the thing about cotton also is that we have to remember that fibers grow in certain places for certain reasons but because of the environmental conditions and cotton only really grows in a certain in certain climates under certain conditions and we've seen some sort of disastrous experiments to try and cultivate cotton and in Kazakhstan there's massive kind of um, desertification of the Aral Sea because of trying to cultivate cotton um, in an area that it wasn't well suited to and so I think really um, the solution is a diversity of fibers that are indigenously and natively grown and understanding how they can all have applications in fashion, but also thinking about what we have already in circulation, what can be um, recycled and regenerated so that we don't have to continue to kind of extract yeah. uh, agriculturally or from, from petrochemicals as well. Yeah, I was wondering about viscose. <laughs> We see a lot of it on our labels. I know it's made from wood. Our wood supply is not endless, though. We are kind of running out of wood, too. Yeah, that's right. So viscose, I guess, has been built in, and, and other cellulose fibers have been built as a kind of sustainable fiber, partly because the you know, kind of wood can be replenished. But of course, that yeah. completely depends on how that how those forests are being stewarded and how they're being regenerated. Um, and we know that in, there have been reports of um, viscose production resulting in deforestation and subsequent loss of biodiversity. So I think it's again about the how. We also know that um, some cellulose fibers need um, some quite harsh chemicals to process them. So I think here it kind of points to, yeah, not only that regeneration, recycling, reuse of mm -hmm, fibers mm -hmm. already in, um, in circulation, but also how we steward the natural environment to make sure we're not taking out more than we're replenishing and that the, the woodland that um, viscose comes from has a chance to, um, you know, kind of regenerate um, so that we can continue um, being able to produce um, fibers. So yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to have a look at more um, information on fibers, we have a material guide in our how to be a fashion revolutionary resource. Mm -hmm. download. You can also ask your favorite brand, what's in my clothes using our hashtag, which we launched last year, um, to try and kind of tease out what materials are they using? How are they um, creating these fibers as well? Mm -hmm. So we have a fashion revolution team here in Romania too, led by, uh, by you, Mariana. What's the status here? Do you see an evolution in consumers' behavior? Do brands take more seriously their production chain? I don't know, maybe their impact on the environment. Is our system ready for a next step on the, let's say, sustainability path? 
Okay, uh, I don't think we can discuss about an evolution in the consumer's behavior. Uh, I rather think uh, in the education of uh, lifestyle with more respect for what we buy or what we choose to wear. Uh, but I also think that some brands do more for sustainability, transparency and clients. So it's more important to have an uh, impact in the mind of consumers with uh, info campaigns uh, that bring closer the final products and brands. We have to do and ask more uh, about the products to realize if we need more clothes in our life or more stuff to simply hold in our closet. Yeah. Uh, what are your accomplished goals so far? <laughs> or I don't know, the results you're most proud of? Um, it's very hard here in Romania to talk about the changing of consumers' behavior, I think. For many years, we didn't have the access the, to the mass market or we didn't have the possibility to buy clothes. So we need was the most important uh, idea in our lives. So we have to educate or our principle uh, of shopping. Uh, right now, uh, we uh, initiated a CSR campaign for our public um, Reportat cu drag, which has the purpose of getting together all the clothes which we don't wear anymore. Uh, then we help the people from social centers of uh, Bucharest in order to promote the idea uh, of uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. Uh, so we know the fact that uh, the majority of clothes go to waste. So our biggest wish was to show the public uh, that it's more important to help the people who don't have the possibility to buy clothes. Uh, now we have a pandemic situation, but our public um, answered very well. So I think we reach a goal. Also, we wanted to get closer to the youngest people because they represent the future. And we have to guide them with much more uh, healthier principles of living. Mm -hmm. uh, now, with the pandemic of uh, COVID-19, we are uh, kind of experiencing a shift of consumption. Uh, We forcefully buy our clothes uh, mostly online. Uh, for some of us, the income became unsteady and maybe we don't shop for clothes uh, as much as we used to. Can this fact make a difference on the charts of overconsumption for, I don't know, 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think we, sh we are seeing this kind of change in our own. We have a community mm. survey we run regularly and 45% of our community said that that the pandemic meant that they really realized they didn't need as much stuff to be happy. So, you know, this kind of breaking down of the consumption as a sort of therapy in a way. Um, but I think we should be really careful not to celebrate a great victory in this kind of reduced consumption brought on by COVID because on the other side of the equation, um, there's the dependency on that fast fashion model. So where there's a huge volumes moving at speed meant that lots of garment workers were left without work and with cancelled orders there's been the, the flip side of this you know kind of sudden drop in consumption has been millions of garment workers left without um work without income so this kind of gets to the the central crux i think of what we often talk about in fashion revolution we need to solve the environmental so reducing the amount that we um create with the social so how workers and the, and those who are most vulnerable in the supply chain are protected and and we need um 
we need to have like a, a properly managed transition because if we just kind of crash consumption, then we leave all of these workers um, without a, an income. Uh, I think we are, you know, tentatively concerned also about this kind of like what might happen after uh, coronavirus, will there be a big consumer splurge? And we're seeing in order to shift the inventory that's been sitting there, brands going into like deep discounts or, um, you know, kind of having an ongoing sale to try and move the amount of stuff that they they have. So um, it, it's great to see that um, awareness changing amongst um, um, citizens and, and consumers, but there's so much we need to now really work on in that industrial model to make sure that, that the two um, sides of the equation are, are are properly kind of looked after. Yeah, uh, we have some some questions for you from the public. Uh, for the first one is from Mirella. How would you convince a friend or someone you know to ask who manufactured their clothes? So how should that discussion look like a human to human level? I think the, the first thing, um, I, th I don't think we can kind of bully people into um, activism. I think it's got to come out of people's natural curiosity. So it's what's going to spark that curiosity. And sometimes I think the best place to start is the connection with those clothes, so the emotional connection to them, like why you really love something that you have, the memories that you have from wearing it. And as a result, you kind of want to find more about its history, its story. And so this can be a, a a kind of great starting point for those who are maybe starting out on the journey of being their clothes detectives. And uh, another one from Maria. Uh, are certain fabrics recyclable, for example, polyester or uh, nylon? Many are recyclable. There's lots of um, polyester and nylon recycling. In fact, some brands are, are working towards eliminating virgin polyester, so new polyester from their, from their products. Um, But the, as I mentioned before, there can be an issue around blends because we're having to kind of extract one fiber from another um, in order to, um, to really be able to regenerate them. So that can be an issue, but many, many fibers are um, recyclable in different forms or, or can be regenerated, yeah. Thank you, Neve and uh, Mariana, for uh, being with us today. Uh, good luck with your initiatives and thank you for your hard work with Fashion Revolution. Thank you uh, so much for having us. Aceasta, aceasta a fost discuția noastră. Vă, vă mulțumim că ați fost alături de noi. Um, în continuare avem un panel despre pașii pe care îi fac marile companii pentru un viitor sustenabil. Pa, pa! Bye, bye.